Amen. Amen. So we're in Romans chapter number one. We're continuing our expositional Bible study in the book of Romans. So chapter one exposition is a verse by verse Bible study. So there, the importance of exposition is that you will cover all kinds of ground. You, you look at what the Bible says and you look at what it meant to those that it said it to and then how we apply it to our own lives. It's kind of a a big kind of range that an expositional Bible study will will help us with. And the reason that it's important to study the Word of God expositionally is because no stone will be left unturned. How many of you know whenever you preach or teach, you usually go to those ones that you like, right? When you, when you don't know what else to read, where you end up at, right? Psalm 23 or something like that, Romans chapter 8. But whenever you go verse by verse through the Word of God, you're hitting the hard stuff, amen, and then you're hitting the stuff that's not very fun, and then you might even get into stuff like Matthew 1, the genealogies. But the, the importance, though, is that it builds, right? It's kind of like lifting weights. Lifting weights by repetition will build, and that's how we begin to build momentum spiritually. Um, in, in this book of Romans, like I was saying earlier, this book was written, this is amazing, this book was written in about the year 57, okay? This is towards the end of the Apostle Paul's life. His desire is to get to Rome to preach. Why? Why go to Rome and preach? Because he's heard about this church. You're going to see that in just a minute. He's heard about this church, and his desire is to go establish the church because he's the apostle, right? How many of you know if you're, if you're the head of a family and a lot of the family's having a meeting and you hear about it, you probably want to go so you can make sure the meeting's done right. Well, Paul's the apostle of the church, of all the Gentile churches, and he hears there's this congregation building in Rome, and they're having this kind of a conflict between the Jew and the Gentile. They're having this kind of struggle about how do we fit in with one another. And he wants to go there, but his desire is to finish his job, which is distributing money to poorer people, and then he's going to take a trip to Rome and to Spain. That was his idea, but that didn't happen that way. He ended up going to Rome, but in handcuffs. This book, though, as I said, was written in the year 57, and almost seven, eight years after that, the martyrs began. This is whenever Nero became in power, and the fires broke out in Rome, and the, and the, the state of Rome blamed it on Christians and had an open field day. You know what the number one charge of the Christian was? That they hated mankind. They were, quote, intolerant of other beliefs. That was the charge that led to this, where, where men and women were fed to the lions or lit on fire for the enjoyment of having candlelight by human at night. So this book is, 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 is important, like I said, because it's foundational because the apostle's not actually, he doesn't know this, but he's not actually going to get there to teach and preach. So this book is God's way of getting an apostleship to this church that's going to face horrible days. 
So we wonder, why is it that Romans is considered the crown jewel of theology as far as the, the gospels go, as far as the epistles go? Why is it that Romans is considered the crown jewel? Because they needed this kind of a foundation for the days they were about to face. They needed a solid grounding so that they would have an unwavering face in the mouth of lion, lions eating their flesh. And then, then you think back about, hey, this is, you know, just a few years after Pentecost, the upper room. We all want the upper room experience, but I got to tell you something. The upper room experience comes with a cost. Because if God anoints you, he's going to appoint you to something. He's not going to fill you and put you on a shelf. He's going to fill you and pour you out into others. Or pour you out as a holy witness against an unholy world. But when the, when the Lord anoints, he always appoints. We, we think about, hey, I want revival. You know, shake me up and set me on the shelf. Like, you know, those sticks that you break in half and you shake them and they glow? God doesn't do that. He doesn't just set you on a shelf so you can glow. He puts you in darkness so that the dark can see the light. And, and, and that anointing, that, that revival, that Holy Ghost power is so that you'll be a witness, right? So that you'll be a witness so you won't, you won't flake out. You won't flake out. Look, this, this uh, experience here of martyrdom, it doesn't really bode well with our number one Christian bestseller uh, of the last decade, which is your best life now. Your best life now doesn't really compute with what's going on at the origin of Romans. So let's get into this. Uh, we're we're going to jump back into... Uh, we stopped at verse 4 last time, so we'll, we'll jump back in. Now, we're in the introduction. Paul, you kind of have it now, but he's not able to get where he wants to go. He's not met these people yet, so he's introducing by saying, this is who I am, and this is what I'm about to do, right? Okay. So, so sometimes we read the Bible, and we're like, why is he always talking about, you know, he's always got to spit out these qualifications and all because the people that receive this need to know this is who their authority is. Okay. So verse four, he said, talking about Jesus, okay. It says that declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. What we, we stopped that was when it, it's not that, Nobody knew that Jesus was dead until then, until he was risen from the dead. But because he was risen from the dead, the Holy Spirit shouts, point proven. He is who he said he was. Because he, 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 because he came to this earth through that virgin birth, because he lived a sinless life, because he was the word manifest in flesh, because he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and because he innocently died for our sins on the cross, the grave couldn't hold him. And he said, when I lay my body down, I'll raise it up again in John chapter 2. And when he came up out of that grave, the Holy Spirit, by the power of holiness, says, point 
proven. He is exactly who he said he was. He is exactly who the Holy Spirit testified that he was. Those people that, that walked with him, the, you know, you think about the people like uh, Mary Magdalene that had those demons cast out of her or, or you know, those uh, in Mark chapter 5, whenever the Lord came to the guy that was filled with legion of demons and they, they have all these encounters with the Lord and then they see him crucified spit upon, just marred beyond recognition, totally humiliated. His first advent is called his humiliation theologically. And then he rises from the dead. And, the, and then can you imagine those people whose hopes was in him and then they see him humiliated on that cross, old rugged cross, and then they go, man, oh, how horrible. And then on that Sunday morning, the, sh the sun shone bright. It, 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 and the first people there were, were those women, Mary and Martha. They, they come and they look and the tomb's empty and the Holy Ghost screams, point, proof. He is who you thought he was, right? Can you imagine kind of the, a little bit of doubt, a little bit of despair in their hearts? It's kind of like, I thought he was, I thought he was. And then when they stepped in and they looked in that empty tomb, the Holy Spirit by the Spirit spoke into their hearts and said, He is exactly who you thought He was. Point proven, right? Point proven. And so we look at that empty tomb in the light. Now, not only in that kind of a manner, because how many of you know, we, we're not privy to that, right? But guess what? He's still risen from the dead. Not only was he risen from the dead, but he's still risen from the dead. And where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for the children of God day and night. And because, listen, because we know where he is, because what the Word of God says, the point remains proven. Because his bones are not on this fallen earth the point remains true amen so by the resurrection of the dead is kind of twofold not only do you have the empty tomb but you have the resurrected christ at the right hand of the father now in verse number five we're going to read verses five through eight and then we're going to get into them so talking about jesus still by whom we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith among all nations, for his name, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think. Of, listen to verse 8. First, so we're going to get into this first part. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 
So let's stop right there for a second. Let's kind of begin to unpack these, these verses. So beginning in verse uh, number five, but I want you to, I want to just get into verse eight because I want you to see why Paul wrote this letter because this congregation stood out from the crowd. They, they, had be, they had not had a visit from their apostle yet. However, what was happening in their church was known throughout the whole world, and that's before Facebook. I don't think they ever paid for one sponsored ad on Facebook. I don't think they ever hired a media company to do advertising. I think it was the, the, the fire that the Holy Spirit began on the inside finally got in touch to the outside and they began preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ and helping those that were downtrodden and afflicted as the Lord said going to the 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 outer edges going out to the highways and the byways compelling the lost going out and seeking those that the world has rejected or maybe religion has rejected. But the, this church, there was a fire that had begun on the inside, and it worked its way out. Come on. That's what we need in our world today. We need a dose of what they had. And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit hasn't changed recipes if we need a dose of what they had, because they had something that the whole world noticed. What, what God began, how many of you know it's one thing to know it? That's good. Oh, Ian Paisley, he said, it, it's good to know it, but it's even better to show it. And, and sometimes we have this disconnect between what we hear, maybe in church, maybe you've heard your pastor say the same thing for a hundred times, right? Kind of becomes old hat. But sometimes there's a disconnect between what we hear and what is revealed in our lives. But it's that old, remember that old gospel song, with the Lord's working on the inside, began working on the outside. You feel it from your head to your toes. But it, it begins on the inside, and that's what happened here. So I just want to point that out. That How many of you think that, that the, the church in Rome hired a marketing consultant company, and they, they, they got a new children's department, and they hired a new children's director, and they painted this, and they had an amusement park in the back of the church? But so the Holy Ghost didn't change recipes on us, did he? Does, are those kinds of things required today for the church to be used? No. What's required? Willing vessels filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what God loves to do? God loves to use those that are lowly. How you say that, Brother Kenny? Because the Lord used fishermen to witness to the world. He took fishers of fish and made fishers of men. Peter, who was unlearned, they even said of Peter he was ignorant and unlearned. I don't know if anybody said that about you, but you might get a little bit of hurt in your pride there. But he didn't. All he cared about was preaching Jesus. They said we can tell that they're ignorant and unlearned, but they've been with Jesus. That's what they could tell. And God used these ignorant and unlearned in the eyes of men, and Peter confounded them with his Holy Ghost preaching. 
What kind of seminary you went to, Peter? The Holy Ghost. No, Peter, what kind of seminary you went to? The Holy Ghost. I've been with Jesus. That's where he got his training. You know, the same Holy Spirit that taught the apostles can teach you and me? He has not retired. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Don't think that you are not able to receive from God what others have. If he's done it before, come on, y'all finish it. If he's done it before, he'll what? Do we believe it, though? So there's a, there's a little church in Rome, and God started a fire, and the whole world took notice. And, and, and it's amazing because just years later, they're going to face martyrdom. Martyrdom. So let's begin and un unpack verse 5. Speaking of Jesus still, it says, Paul said, by whom? We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So let's kind of stop right there for a second. Grace and apostleship is what was given. Why? Why grace and why apostleship? Because if somebody sets out for ministry today, they're going to ask for an iPad and, you know, this. But what Paul got was grace and apostleship. Why? Because one is needed for you, right? Grace. How many of you need grace? Grace, though, sometimes we look at it as an easy word, right? It's just unmerited favor, and nobody really knows what that means. But grace is how God works in your life. Grace, without it, right, without grace, there'd be no way for God to communicate to you and me because he's so far above us. But by grace, grace is God's ability at work in lives of broken folks. Grace is an ability. Grace is an empowering. Grace works. I don't know if you knew that, but grace works. So when, when you look at kind of false teachings today, they have a hyper grace. Well, that's not what we're talking about. Biblical grace is when God takes somebody that's broken and he puts an ability in them to get, listen, past themselves to get over themselves, nobody going to talk to me like that. No, no. You need some more of God's grace. You need to see who you truly are. You need to see how awesome God is. And then you need to ask the Lord to work that grace in you. Don't ever forget when, when Paul wrote the, the letter to the Corinthian church, you remember when he had the thorn in the flesh? And he petitioned the Lord three times to take it from him. Do you remember what the Lord told him in red letters? My grace is sufficient for you, right? In weakness, my strength is made perfect. Grace works. Grace gives you an ability to get past you so that you now are a vessel in his hands. Grace is kind of like when David picked up those five smooth stones. They were no longer five smooth stones. They had become anointed and appointed for a cause. 
And when God puts grace on you, it's because he's anointing and appointing you for a work. Grace is given for a job. Okay? Grace is given for a job. Now, grace, it, it, it takes that which is imperfect. This is uh, just kind of a, a Brother Kenny definition. But grace takes that which is imperfect, right? Takes that which is imperfect and positions it for a heavenly work. There, there's nobody that God's ever used, right, that's perfect except for Jesus. So every other person that God's ever used needed grace because they were imperfect and they needed it in order for, before God could use them, right? Grace. Grace is the ability. Apostleship is the job. What does it mean to be an apostle? An apostle doesn't, you can put it on any business card you want, don't mean you're an apostle. An apostle is somebody who's been commissioned or sent out to do an establishing work. A work of establishing a church, a congregation. It's a building up of, of people, connecting them, uniting them around what? An apostle goes out, is commissioned to build God's church, but on what? On who Jesus is, on what God said, and by his spirit. You see, our churches cannot be built on theatrics. Our churches cannot be built on emotions because one day the power is going to get cut off. And one day you won't feel like celebrating. You won't feel like you'll have to put on a mask. One day you won't look the part or feel the part. But faith moves past feeling. And so if there's going to be an establishing of a church, an apostle will get that church grounded on who Jesus is. You'll be like, I've heard that since I was, you know, knee high. To, you know, I've been hearing about that. But that's what establishes the church. That's what unites us across racial, national, ethnic. That's what unites us across every kind of background you can imagine. It unites the farmer and the banker. It unites unites men and women. It unites the Greek and the Jew. It unites the barbarian and the Scythian. It unites us all when we all come short of the glory of God because of our sin and we need atoning by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ's blood for our soul. That unites us across every label. Across every label. So an apostle goes out and establishes a work of God. So when we look at today, are there apostles today? Yes, there are apostles today. There are not original apostles, but anybody that goes out and establishes people on the truth of Jesus is an apostle. They're doing that work. They're commissioned to do it. God, God gave Paul a special grace Right? Remember the, um, the side? Remember the, the uh, thorn in his flesh? So not only did he have the kind of grace we had, but he had a special kind of a, an equipping. An equipping. And then, then, look, I'm going to get excited in a second. Then, not only on top of that, but then he anointed him and appointed him to establish congregations. 
See, people today, they go on mission trips and they take pictures of beaches. Paul went on mission trips and started churches and the, and the society around him rioted against him, stoned him, beat him, left him for dead, imprisoned him, did all that they could against him, but they couldn't stop the spirit that was at work in him. He had totally yielded to the Holy Spirit's work and influence in his life. And if you will do the same, God will use you too. Now, you may not start as many churches. You may not do that because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. But in order for God to use you the way God designed you, you will have to fully surrender to the Holy Spirit too. And so, we see that Paul didn't just go out, but he received a special grace and an a special apostleship for what well look for obedience to the faith obedience to the faith so paul's not out here look look at the end of that for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name for his name what we're, the obedience to the faith is not so that Paul can start getting invited to the conferences like the other apostles were. He, he didn't say God anointed me and equipped me so that I can go out and start doing this stuff and then I can get on the, the conference circuit. Then I can get a, a new kind of ministry. Then I can write a book. No, no, no. He did this. He did this grace. He did this apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name not for Paul's name for his name so Paul's goal was that Jesus be glorified and for Jesus to be glorified the desire was obedience to the faith among all nations you see that what's the desire so that you get famous Paul so that people know you Paul no so that nations obey the faith so that nations obey the faith. People from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. The Apostle Paul desired to go everywhere from Europe to China to Spain to Rome. He got to Rome, but it was in handcuffs. But the desire was that all nations, meaning people from every nation, people from every tribe. See, some people get, you know, this kind of mindset, this kind of people God wants, this kind of people. God. No, God wants some from everybody. God wants all. God's not willing that any should perish. Red, yellow, black, or white, they're all precious in his sight. And so God's not willing that any should perish. Why are we? Or are we? Right? Because everybody's kind of motor stops at some point. Everybody's kind of got this point where they get to where they're like, yeah, you know, they'll get it. Hold on. God's not willing that anybody should perish. God's desire is to see obedience to the faith among all peoples for his name. I want you to see the motivation was that the lamb would receive the reward of his suffering. He suffered for him. He suffered for the poor. He suffered for the rich. He suffered for the black, for the white. He suffered for the red and the yellow. 
He suffered for them. Why should we be willing to stand back while they perish? The guy that started the Salvation Army, William Booth, he said, while, while children still sleep hungry, I'll fight. While wives are still abused, I'll fight. While men are still lost, I'll fight. He's, he, he, there was no quit there. There was no line he wouldn't cross to reach somebody with the gospel so that they would be obedient to the faith. Not to the church, to the faith. You know, the true men and women of God don't go around establishing denominations. They go around establishing the faith in folks. And that was Paul's desire was that they would be obedient to the faith. Now, what is the faith? The apostle, uh, you know, is talking about the obedience to the faith. Well, Jude said in, in Jude verse 3, that we should contend, right? We should contend against those for the faith that was given to us, the faith that came from the apostles. What is that faith? Our faith is built on what? Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Who he is, right? Who he is and what he did at Calvary and where he is now. That's what our faith is built on. And, and if you ever, you know, run a... a, a um, if you ever run aground on that, go back to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. That's the foundation of our faith. If you're ever going to lead somebody to the Lord, you're going to have to tell them that Jesus is God. You're going to have to tell them that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and that on the third day he rose again. And if they would believe that and confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord, they'll be saved. You're going to lead somebody to the Lord. Look, and that's our job. The Apostle Paul is not the only person that ever lived that should desire obedience to the faith among all people. It should, it should burn in us too. You don't have to be an apostle to be a witness. Let me tell you, our generation is saturated with, with stories. With We have at our fingertips more technology than theologians did 100 years ago. You can get into the studies about different languages, different manuscripts. You can have commentaries, dictionaries. You can have libraries. You can have it all. And yet we still watch Wheel of Fortune. But we're saturated and inundated with a lot of stuff. And I've heard some people say, you know, we, we may have to give an account for that. May have to. However, this is what I would like to say. We can't go back. You watched Will of Fortune yesterday. You can't go back and change it, but you can change today. You can give yourself afresh to the Lord's work today. Notice, I want you to see this, and then we're going to move. I promise we'll move on. But I want you to see this, that it was a desire that nations would obey the faith for Jesus' namesake. That was their desire and when our desire lines up with that, we will begin to get outside of our comfort zone and begin to share the gospel with others. We'll begin to go out to the highways and the byways. We'll begin to go out and, and, and do whatever. And you might say, well, Kenny, I can't do that. I can't do that. But the Lord will give you 
the Lord will give you wisdom about how to use what God's put in you today. See, God's put a lot in us. God's put a lot in us. You ever, you ever, you ever studied like the law of supply and demand? Economics, supply and demand. God puts a lot in. That means there's a demand somewhere. Somebody somewhere needs what you got in you. You might be like, I've heard that story about Zacchaeus a hundred times. Pastor keeps preaching that. Well, somebody around you needs you to speak it. Maybe you, maybe you need to stop complaining about your neighbor's trash can being in your yard on Facebook and start telling people about Zacchaeus on Facebook. And so we, we think, man, pastor's talking about that again. Well, the Lord's putting it in you for a reason. And, and sometimes we, we forget those things, but I want you to know that it's the little things that God will use. If you'll just be a willing vessel, and you may, you may be like, well, I can't, you know, I can't exegete a verse, or I can't do this, I can't do that, but you have a deposit from the Spirit of God in you. You can't trust yourself. You can't trust your book learning. You have to trust the Holy Spirit that's at work in you and just simply be a vessel in his hands that he can use. That's all he's asking for. And, 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 and the disconnect, I believe, is on this verse where Paul said, you know, this is why he did this. He didn't give me this apostleship and this grace so that I can sit on a throne at a conference and sit up on a high chair on a platform while other people preach. He gave me this so that other people from all nations will be obedient to the faith for his name. And when we begin to see through those lenses, we will begin to transition, right? From just receiving, pastor, talk about that again. I mean, how many times is he going to tell us where to go to hear the true gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, I can say it in my sleep. Well, good, you got it, now give it. You see? Now you got it, okay, now start giving it. You don't have to be a theologian. You have to be... A willing vessel that depends not on this, your head, but on the Holy Ghost. Okay? God's good. God's good. I, I love this because, you know, the Apostle Paul, if, it, it, and later on, uh, you know, maybe one year, we'll get to the book of Philippians. And uh, if the Lord tarries, right? One year, we'll get to the book of Philippians. But Philippians chapter 3 is the be-all, end-all for any prideful person. Because Paul said he was a, a, a you know, a, a, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. There was none more advanced than him in any way. And he said he had to count it all dung. Before God used him, he had to let go of everything else. And he had to lean on the working of the Spirit. And everybody that ever is used of God, same thing, same recipe. God's recipe don't change. See, when uh, we, we kind of have a joke at our home because I can never cook the same thing twice because I never follow the recipe. <laughs> well, you know, the Holy Spirit is not like me on that, right? The Holy Spirit does, does things the same way. It's, it's just people that are willing 
People that are humble. People that will receive the Holy Spirit and not lean on the arm of their flesh, but will lean on him for understanding and equipping. Those are the kind of people that God uses. And God uses that same formula, that same recipe for the last 2,000 years. That's how he's done it. That's how you get Peter going from, I'm just going fishing, don't bother me, hiding in an upper room to preaching and leading over 2,000 Jews to Christ days, listen, days after he was hiding for his life. How? He was a willing vessel. Holy Spirit filled. He went. Look, when you go out on that front porch, well, I don't know if it's a front porch or a back porch, but he went out on the porch and he began to preach the gospel under the power of the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost came down, you cannot lean on the flesh you're out there what in boldness of spirit you don't go out there and say hey listen to me let me tell you what all i've learned over the last you know few days no you have to go under the inspiration of god and i and i just want to compel you if i can for just a second that you don't have to know everything because they obviously didn't know everything because the Bible was still being written. And yet, God equipped them to be a witness. Okay? And if you're born again, filled with His Spirit, just go out in the, in the equipping that you have. If you'll just be a willing vessel. And some of us are like, well, you know, I just don't know what I can do. That's what you got to stop doing. You got to stop thinking about what you can do, and you got to start thinking about what God can do. Somebody might need just a simple word of encouragement that you've heard 15 times last year. Some, some neighbor, maybe somebody at a doctor's office, maybe you've heard your pastor or your Sunday school teacher or some. Somebody on TV or something. You've heard the same thing. You, they'll start preaching out of John chapter 8, and you know automatically what they're going to start preaching about. You automatically know. You've done heard it a thousand times. Use that. God will pour into you, right, when you begin to pour out into others. Have you ever experienced that? It's the best feeling in the world. If you'll begin to pour out into others, the Holy Ghost just begins pouring into you more than you can handle. Have you ever seen an illustration where somebody will have like a pitcher of water talking about the Holy Spirit? That's why Paul said, be, you know, ever being filled. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Because when you pour out, that's when the Holy Spirit pours back in. But if you never pour out, you just get stale. You start growing moss. And so I want you to see that the desire is that the nations, people from every nation, would be obedient to the faith. And that's simply that they would believe the gospel. That's it. Simply believe the gospel. Not building a denomination. Some, some of us, right? So, you know, I've, I've listened to some people, they'll, they'll try to lead somebody to the Lord or something, and they just try to break right into the denominational stuff, you know? But it's the faith. Our faith is built on Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose on the third day. That's what our faith is founded on. 
That's what we fight for. That's what we will lay our lives down for. Right? Not fog machines and whether we need to have instruments in the church. Whether we don't have, you know, pews or chairs, paint, no paint, wood floors, carpet floors, sawdust floors. Look, that's all kind of denominational stuff. But the faith is built on Jesus. And if you know him, if you know him, now you got what the nations need. If you know him, now you have what the nations need. And boy, do we live in a time that Jesus is needed. We live in a time that Jesus is needed. Our society's changing by the hour. It's not looking great. But God's still on the throne. And he's still looking for folks to use. So, notice here that the reason that this apostleship and grace was given to Paul is so that people would obey that faith. That they would obey that faith. Now, let's move on to, uh, we talked about how... Paul said that he did this for his name, the name of Jesus Christ. That's the name that was given above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess, right? That's his name. <clears throat> Everybody's going to bow to that knee. You, you think back about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would not bow to Nebuchadnezzar's. They wouldn't bow to Nebuchadnezzar. And, you know, people down through the centuries have put knives to the throats of Christians to get them to bow down to false gods, bow down to this, and bow down to that. The only person we should bow down to is God. And at his name, every knee will bow. There's coming a day, there's coming a day when people will have to give an answer. And on that day, every knee will bow. Even the people that reject God, even the people that are agnostic, atheists, even the people that, you know, whatever, run the gamut. They're all going to have to answer to him, and they're all going to bow their knee to him. I heard one preacher say, you know, it's better to bow by grace now than by force then. Makes you think. But what a day that's going to be. Can you imagine that? Every, every being that's ever lived will be resurrected and brought before the great white throne of God. And that's when the book of life will be opened up and every name will be read or not read. And, and, and those that aren't read, what? They can be cast in the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. But before they're cast in the lake of fire... Every knee is going to have to bow, and every tongue is going to confess, Jesus is Lord. Amen? So, uh, that was the motivating force behind the Apostle Paul. If you've ever looked in the back of your Bible at the mission trips, and you see all the miles that the Apostle Paul went on, it's amazing. It's amazing. If you've ever taken a trip with kids, you know how hard it is even in a car this air conditioned with a radio can you imagine back then when you're having to travel by horse 
camel or boat. You don't know how that's going to go at every turn. But add up the miles that he traveled and compare that to your last trip where you were able to stop at gas stations and things like that. It's amazing. This Paul had an undaunted faith, unwavering, unflinching because he was a man on a mission. And everywhere he went, he paid his own way. He was not a hireling. He was a tent maker. He didn't ask nobody to buy no book or pay for him to come preach at a conference. He was a tent maker, not a hireling. And he was undaunted, but the whole mission of his whole ministry was for his name. All nations obey this faith. So when, when, when we begin to see through the lens that our apostle worked in, we kind of get a working model for what we should be doing. We should be doing and striving in every area of our lives. Now, look, God may not call you to be a missionary and go establish churches, but there may be somebody around you tomorrow that needs to hear an encouraging word that God hasn't given up on them because God's not willing that any should perish. And if God is, is desiring and God's working in them, God's not given up on them, but they need to know that Jesus died for them to reconcile them to God, right? The Bible says, one of my favorite chapters, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So when you see somebody that's hurting, that's downtrodden, that feels like they're a failure, you know, hey, God sent Jesus to die so you can be reconciled to God. Stop standing on the outskirts of town and come in. Come in around the fire and receive the Holy Ghost. That's what this world needs. This world is not waiting on one preacher in one town. It's when a church gets ignited. A church gets ignited. So here we go. In verse number six, he said, Among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ? You also are the called of Jesus Christ. Called what? Would you call me, Paul? Did you call me an apostle? No, but you're the called. Call, what did you call me, Paul? I called you to this work. I called you to this work, just what I was just saying, of, of bringing this gospel to the nations that they may obey it. Why? Eternity's at stake. If people are still dying and going to hell, it's worth giving them the gospel. If hell's real, we should be about the Father's business. If it's not real, then we should just build a country club and start playing, you know, board games on Sunday nights. But if, the, if, if heaven and hell's real... And it's at stake for all people of all nations in every city, every tribe, every tongue, every nationality. And the Lord uses, he's not, he's, the Lord's not building robots. He's not doing gospel ministry by drones. He's not, what's he, he uses folks like us. God chose this method to spread the gospel. Broken folk. Saved Filled, 
anointed and equipped and sent. God may not send you to the Roman church, but I'm pretty sure he sent us to our neighbors. We'd be like, when, when did I get my send off? When you came into this kingdom. When you came into the kingdom of God, you also got the charge to preach and teach all nations, baptizing them, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. Okay, now here we go, verse 6. Among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ? Now, Paul put that because somebody on some pew somewhere said, well, that's for y'all, not for me. And, and when, you're, when you're going to face martyrdom in just a few years, it's important to know we need to go out and be about the Lord's business. And so Paul said, and you're called in this same manner. Okay, it's not just for highfalutin Christians, it's for all of us. If you're reading this, you're called to this. That's what he's saying. If you're reading this, you're called to this. Among whom also you are the called of Jesus Christ, seven, verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, something important I want to show you here. These people are given a name, which is, they're called to be saints, but they're, they are described as in two different manners. One, all you who are in Rome. How many of you know that was their earthly lot? Your earthly lot may be Louisiana, Bossier City, Shreveport. It's your earthly lot, all you that are in. But that was their earthward description. Then, right after that, he gives their heavenward description, which is beloved. Everybody that's born again has this same description. You have to realize that there is this, this part, this reality, that we are in it. We are in the world, but we're not made of it if we're born by the Spirit of God. We are in Rome, but we are of God. We are beloved of God. We are in it, but not of it and when a church gets misdirected it's when they've lost that vision when they are in the world and of the world but we are called to be in rome but understand we are the beloved of god we serve a higher power than the romans that can feed us to lions we serve a higher power than those that can kill the body but can't harm the soul we serve a higher power than nero who's the emperor we serve the living god so we have this thing going on throughout all the ages where we, we have to realize we're in this fight. We're in it, but this is not our home. This is not who we really are. When our names are, are read on that last judgment day, it will not be that I was born in Louisiana. I got this. 
No, that's just where you were. You were in Rome, but you were of God. You were beloved of God. You were loved. If you don't realize it, you were loved because God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you. That if you would simply believe, you would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's our John 3.16. But that's how we know God loved us because God gave Jesus for us. Because every person that's ever lived realizes that they're fallen. Every person that's ever lived has a guilty conscience. Those that don't say it just don't admit it. But that guiltiness, that's the Holy Spirit who brings conviction on the unbeliever. And then how do we remedy that? God's love. Jesus. God gave Jesus for our souls. So we have to always remember we might be in Rome, but we are of God. You, you, you may not appreciate the fact that the nation's going the way it is right now. Or that times are changing right now. But these times are not who you are. You're just in them, but that's not who you are. You have a higher calling. You've been called to God. You are the beloved of God. God has set you apart for a reason. God has put and equipped you for a reason. It's not so that you can better Rome, but so that you can better the kingdom of God, so that you can extend the kingdom of God in other people's lives, so that God can have more of you and more through you. There is a byproduct that when the church begins to function, society will begin to change. There's a byproduct, but it is not the primary. It is not the primary. Well, D.L. Moody, he said, a rising tide lifts all boats. A rising tide will lift all boats. And when we begin to see the church at large begin to stand up, and take their rightful place in the kingdom and receive that anointing from God and being about his business, we will begin to see boats in other harbors begin to lift as well. Look, the standard and the standard of God, the standard of God is lifted, right? Doesn't the Bible say that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit will lift up a standard against him? Yes, the enemy may be reigning in, society may be crumbling around you, but when the Spirit gets involved, a standard gets lifted up against the enemy. And when we, we can't, so that's why we can't get involved down here in the gutter. We have to take our place as the children of God and let the Spirit of God work through us to do his work to do his work so it is um verse seven this is that to all that be in rome beloved of god called to be saints that's a kind of debated thing in some church circles saint just simply means somebody consecrated or um, blameless holy sacred you 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 are not a saint because of what you've done. You're a saint because of what he's done, and you've said yes. That's why you're the saint of God. It's not because you did an awesome work because it wasn't you anyways. Because if you did anything, it was because of his grace that was at work in you. 
oh, I went and I did this and I did that and I did this. No, you didn't. You were just a willing vessel. God did it. God did it. We, we need to stop taking credit for what God's done. Right? Okay. So here we see in verse 7 that they're called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody ever has a problem with, um, you know, the deity of Jesus Christ, this is a good verse to bring them to because grace and peace come from both God and Jesus. In the Old Testament, it says grace can only come from God. Peace only comes from God. This is a, 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 one of those verses where you can see and, and, and just tangibly see that the same gifting flows from God the Father through God the Son. This is a, a, a beautiful verse for that. And let's close with verse 8. First, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now listen, Rome, even before they were fed to the lions, and it wasn't just them fed to the lions, they were just humiliated, they were lit on fire. Uh, they were sawn in half. Uh, just all kinds of just horribly brutal things. And yet, before even that, it was a decadent culture. Decadent meaning drunken, fornicating, sodomizing culture. This culture was one of the most decadent and debauched societies that's ever lived. Societies after Rome have always been compared to it when they start getting a little bit homosexual or sodomite. And yet, in that, in that kind of a darkened, sin-infested world that they lived in they didn't sit back they didn't sit back they didn't give up they didn't quit they didn't throw in the towel they didn't say it's hopeless they were filled and anointed with the fire of God and they witnessed to the debauchery they witnessed to the debauchery and they went out with a shout not a whimper they went out with a shout with the Holy Ghost witness on them and their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. You know that God called us to let our light shine, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you know, a, a, a lamp, you don't put it under a bushel. When God puts that, a, a, a city, he doesn't hide it. It is to let that light shine. That's Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, you don't hide it under a bushel. You, you take that off, you take that bucket off so that other people can see the light. It's easy to complain about a debauched society. It's easy to do that. But God is not asking you to complain. God's asking you to be vexed in the Spirit. Not, don't get used to it. Be vexed in the Spirit, but... More importantly, let your light shine. Even if there's one person, even if there's one person, even if there's one person 
so that the world sees something in you that it doesn't see in the rest of society. I love the story of Timothy. Timothy was the pastor to the uh, Ephesians church at the end, and, you know, Paul wrote letters to him, but he literally died at the hands of basically a Mardi Gras parade. They were starting their Mardi Gras parade. He went out and tried to stop it, not join it, stop it. He stood in front of it, and he preached against it. And they were so embarrassed and so enraged. Have you seen how people are acting these days? They were so mad, they literally took him and beat him to death so that they could continue partying in their debauched ways. And Rome was the center of that. The Roman Empire went throughout the whole region, and this city is the epicenter of decadence, drunkenness, sodomy. And yet, they stood out as lamps in the darkness. They stood out as lamps in the darkness. What a testimony. They did what we can't do with Facebook. The whole world knew about them. Well, what's special about them? They must have went to a conference we didn't get to go to. No. No. They believed, they received, and then they allowed that spirit to work through them. It, like I started out, the Holy Spirit worked in them and then began to work out through them. And any willing vessel, God will do the same thing for. Any willing vessel, God will do the same thing for. So their faith was not, listen, their faith was not hidden. Their faith was not a secret. But their faith was a counterpunch to the society around them. It cost them their life. It cost them their life but they were faithful witnesses to the end for his name, for his name. And, and we don't know how many people at the end got so convicted. I, I read stories about the martyrdom, and you ought to read them from Nero, the way he treated these Christians. But they said that some of the deaths were so horrific that people, some people couldn't watch anymore. Can you imagine? And this faithful witness, this faithful witness stayed with them. I'm sure the Holy Ghost convicted hundreds, if not thousands, throughout that whole ordeal, saving, saving, and saving. And so their witness was spoken up throughout the whole world. How amazing is that? Amen? How amazing is that? 